If you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along with us, we encourage you. If these gentlemen have a Bible, they would be happy to give you. If you just raise your hand or reach out to them, they will give you this Bible. It will be a gift for you. If you don't have one, a gift for you to keep. We want to make sure that each person has a Bible as we look at God's Word today. Back in the early 1900s, there was a pastor by the name of Pastor Gossip, of all things. His last name was Gossip. He was in Aberdeen, Scotland. And he was a pastor of Beech Grove Church, and at the age of 54, I understand that age, uh, that's right where I am, at the height of his ministry, many years of ministry, many years of service, a very humble, sincere man devoted to his friends and family, suddenly he faced a devastating loss. He faced the unexpected loss of his wife, the death of his wife. Uh, Totally unexpected, uh, took him by huge surprise, and obviously rattled him to the core of who he was. But as he tried to wrestle through this and tried to understand it, he struggled with reconciling his his faith with his sudden loss. And it drove him to preach a message. And this was the title of his message. The title of his message was, When Life Tumbles In, What Then? Now, I could have stole that, and you wouldn't have known that I stole that title. I got a little less enticing title. But when life tumbles in, what then? And honestly, after his ministry was done and over with, that was the message people remembered most about Pastor Gossip. Because the message point was this. So many people's religion is a fair-weathered affair. In other words, when grief and struggles and difficulties come in, suddenly we start throwing God and everything out the window, and we run to so many things other than God and His Word. And he said, basically the gist of it was, If we throw that out, we've really, really thrown out what we ultimately need. Because he said this. This was the conclusion of his message back many, many years ago. I don't think you need to be afraid of life. Our hearts are very frail, and there are places where the road is steep and very lonely. But we have a wonderful God. Now, Take that long statement, and here's what John Piper said about 70 years later in seven words. Life is hard, but God is good. That's where we're going today. That's our brief journey this morning. Uh, We may not have had what Pastor Gossip had this morning, but when we face difficulties, we may ask the question, and it's a natural question, why did this happen to me? Uh, Why did this happen to me now? But here's the question that he wanted to, Pastor Gossip wanted to drive us to, is this question, now that this has happened, will I remain loyal to God? Or will I just throw it all out the window? Will I just say, enough is enough? And that's really where, if you're willing to stay with me, with your seatbelts on, because we've got to go quickly through this this morning, that's where we're trying to go in a journey. You're encouraged to see that even though we are in Psalm 119, if you would, if you haven't turned there yet, turn to Psalm 119. The encouraging thing is, yes, there are 176 verses, I do know this, and I don't plan to preach all of them. If you notice, there's only one, all right? So there's a good chance we will land the plane somewhere close to 1045. Obviously, the Psalms are a portion of Scripture that we go to many, many times in our lives for various reasons, um, good and bad, sometimes to be encouraged. And, and really, if you look at the breakdown of the Psalms, the first 90 Psalms are filled with a lot of struggle, agony, helplessness, and desperation. And many of those are written by a king. 
who really would have been on top of his world, David. Um, And in the midst of that desperation, helplessness, and struggle, also weaved in there is a lot of praise and hope. In other words, what God allows us to see in those first 90 Psalms and other places as well is life isn't just getting through it. Life is worship. We've come here this morning to do that. We feel like when we walk through this room, we've come to worship. But the problem is, if we think that, then we've missed the point of the first 90 Psalms. It isn't that when we walk through this door and we come in this room, worship begins. If we think that way, then we really probably aren't prepared to worship in here this morning. Because the Psalms are written and have been written in those first 90, especially to drive home the fact that God is at work in our lives through these struggles to bring out praise and hope in the midst of it all. Now, one of the neat things about the Psalms is that makes it easier to connect it to our lives is many times the stories that are behind the Psalms are what we might say parked at the door. In other words, when you go to read the Psalm, you don't know the storyline. Uh, You don't know what happened. You just see David or others agonizing, struggling, going through whatever they're going through. Now, let me give you two examples of cases that David wrote a psalm that he did tell us the story, and we may dismiss it and go, well, I'll never have that happen. Let me give you one example. One of them is in Psalm 56. If you, We're going to see up on the screen here in a moment, Psalm 56, 3. But if you look at that psalm, and I'm not asking you to look there, there's a superscription that's talking about David, and it's talking about a time when David is hiding in a cave because Saul and the army are trying to find him to kill him. Now, think of yourself in a cave on Pikes Peak, and you got Obama and the, and the Marines, and they're looking for you to kill you. All right? And you're like, that's never going to happen. Exactly. All right? So we may look at that story and say that's never going to happen to us. But in the midst of that psalm, there is stuff that when we park the story aside that says, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. He doesn't say, I stop being afraid, then I trust in you, that sometimes fear and trust goes pack- is a package. It's together. Or another one, and this is probably one that we've gone to before in our own personal lives, in Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is another situation where David, in his life, he feigns, he, he acts like he's a crazy man in order to protect himself. It wasn't one of his finer moments. All right? And in the midst of that, he pens a psalm of the experience after the fact, Psalm 34. I mean, David literally foams at the mouth to fake like he's a, he's a crazy guy so he doesn't die. And in the midst of that, God had to teach him a huge lesson about fear. Here's the words he penned after the fact. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. (laughs) Let us exalt his name together. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Probably, verse, verse 8, some of you have gone to. You've seen it in a bookstore. It's been calligraphied. It's been whatever. You've seen this verse. But it wasn't David's finest moment. And it wasn't a situation that perhaps we've ever done. But my point is this. God has penned these psalms to drive us to worship but has penned these songs to give us hope in the midst of whatever is in our life right now or has been in our life or will be tomorrow or will be in many tomorrows ahead. That's where I want us to go with this one little bitty verse in the midst of a lot of verses in Psalm 119. 
You know, we look at Psalm 119, I could ask a lot of questions about this psalm, and we might say, well, I know some things about the psalm, it's got a lot of verses, and if I ask you what is the thing that is discussed most in the psalm, most of us, if we've studied Psalm 119, we're going to answer the natural question, and that is, out of this 176 verses, I believe there's only two verses that don't mention the Word of God, the law of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord. In other words, every verse weaves in, in all 176 verses, something about the Word of God. But believe it or not, there's something that's weaved in even more than those statements about God's Word. What is weaved in that we can easily look beyond because we're looking at the more specific details is all throughout Psalm 119, over and over we see these words. I, me, my, mine, very personal pronouns, and you, your, and yours. You say, well, what's that have to do with it? Well, the first four verses of Psalm 119 are in third person. After that, it all goes to a personal conversation, and it's a conversation is going on between the psalmist and God, back and forth, back and forth. And most people would say it's written to be a prayer. And if you look at it and you see the little Hebrew uh, letters there and you're like, I've never understood that. Well, if we were reading out of a Hebrew Bible and we were Hebrew scholars, we would see that in those verses, every one of those verses in each eight-verse section starts with that Hebrew letter of the alphabet, which would help Jews to memorize those verses. It's not going to help us today. All right? It's not going to help us at all. All right? And you think of memorizing 176 verses, and you think, I can remember a half a dozen of my favorite verses in there. Psalm 119, verse 67 may not be that verse. It's really a tiny slice of that prayer dialogue, a tiny slice of the I, me, my, your, yours, and, and that conversation back and forth of the psalmist with God. Was it David? We don't know for sure. We do know this. There were highs and lows throughout this psalm. There was times when he was delighting in God's word, when he would say in verse 97, Oh, how I love your law is my meditation all the day. And, and just stop and think of that verse. How many days can we honestly say that that really is true? I mean, pick that one verse out of 176 and go, wow, ouch, ouch, ouch. Because honestly, it's not our meditation all the day. We're thinking about a thousand bazillion things and the internet and TV and smartphones that make us as dumb as can be because we're not thinking about the stuff that really matters. And you can say, well, Hal, I'm busy. You're right. We are busy. And, and I, I really believe, and for you technology types, and I get this word types from pastor. You've heard him say that enough times. You know, I, I really believe that the technology that moves us faster and faster is directly connected to the devil himself. And you say, well, how is that? Well, because Satan wants us to go faster and faster and be busier and busier because if we do that, we don't take time to slow down and listen to God. And, and really, what we're going to look at in this one verse this morning is God's way to slow us down. It's the speed bumps of life. Uh, teenagers with speed bumps, what do they do? Do they slow down? No, they want to get the car airborne, you know. As adults, we speed bumps are intended to slow us down as we go through a parking lot, wherever it may be. So we look at Psalm 119, verse 67, and here's what we read in these words in Psalm 119. Look, if you would, at verse 67. He says... Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now 
I obey your word. And really, we could say this probably three or four times. I won't take time to do that. We could probably say this verse three or four times, and by the end of the service, you got the verse memorized. It's a pretty simple verse. And you think, well, what in the world are you going to talk about for a long time? Well, we'll try to pick it apart and help us to see what God is saying. If you haven't yet pulled out of your program this morning, there is an outline. There is fill in the blanks. I'll try to keep you up to speed. We'll get the scorecard, and then we'll get through it this morning. So if you haven't pulled that out, please pull that out. Uh, Where we're going to go is really just two things connected to this psalm as David is showing us. And, And the question I've posed in your outline in the title is, Why don't I change? I, you, me, why don't we change? And I'm trying to personalize this very much. So you can just act like I'm looking at a big mirror, I'm preaching this to myself, and you're listening in. So just make it all of us. Why don't I change? Uh, What is it that is my hang-up or hang-ups that keep that from happening? And obviously it can be a lot of answers, but we're going to look at one key matter today in this verse that if we can get a handle on what he's saying in this verse, perhaps that can give us hope that God's up to something very, very good in our lives, even if in the moment it doesn't feel good at all. Um, quite frankly, it feels like, let me run for the hills. I want to get away from this as quickly as I can. The question is, what does this psalm teach us about how God can change it? So, Starting very simply, as we look at this verse, the first thing I want us to see is, and I'm going to say this in first person, so I'm filling the blanks in for me, you fill in the blanks for you. First thing is, my natural bent in life is to stray from God. Naturally, even as a believer, I can still stray from God. I would like to think that once we put our faith in Christ, that life just goes up and up and up. But really, our life is like up, down, up, down, up, down. It is just what it is. And, and what God is doing is helping us to recognize that we can't do this alone. Um, obviously, as I weave some things in from time to time about John Piper, I've read a lot of his books since his first book in 86. And it has really controlled a lot of my thinking as it's driven my thoughts. But one of the things that I, I just vividly remember reading one time is when he made the statement that the Christian life isn't just hard, it's impossible. And we don't come to grips with that. And that's really what we're saying here, is that my natural bent in life, as a believer even, is to stray away from God, to wander from God. So that is going to assume then, I'm going to need God's help because I can't do this alone. And it's not just hard, I want to make it very clear, it's impossible. So when we say, my natural bent in life is to stray from God, here's what that means. That means, I will wander from God, I will wander when God's word is no longer a priority. I will wander when God's word is no longer a priority. And priority is always a time issue. You know, we can think of priorities and we can measure priorities, we can talk about our priorities, but at the end of the day, when we're talking about priorities, priorities are always a time issue for us. I spend time on something that's a priority. So when we look at that, we look at what these verses are saying. Of these eight verses, you see verse 67 is in the middle of eight verses there. In those eight verses, every one of them, if you were studying Hebrew, they start with the letter that we see here is teth, all right? It would be like our equivalent T. 
So every one of those eight verses start with T. And interestingly, five out of those eight verses, the psalmist used the, the word that started with T that means the word good. So five of those eight verses, if we were to read it in Hebrew, would be good, 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 good. Not, you know, good's not in there some places. But we don't translate that way from Hebrew to English, and so the word weaves in there in a different place. But literally, the psalmist is saying, good, good, good. Five out of eight things he says that are good. Verse 67 doesn't include that word. It doesn't include the word good. So we could read verse 67 and go, yeah, it's not good. What we're talking about here is not a good thing. It's not something that is good. But I, I, I want us to see that what he is saying is really, really very, very good for us because God is at work in our life. Here in verse 67, I will wander when God's word is no longer a priority because he says, I went astray. Now, admittedly, when we do a word association, because we are church-going people for the most part, and we've read enough of the Bible, we've read Psalm 23, we might think of sheep. But since most of us are city folk, if we weren't church-attending people, we're not going to think of sheep, all right? Because we don't think of that. We've learned that growing up. So let me give you an illustration that's more fitting to all of our lives. Think of a child wandering away from a parent at a store or a mall, all right? That's happened. Maybe you were that child. Maybe you were that panicked child. You were hiding in the clothes racks, and suddenly when you came back out, mom and dad are gone, and there's this panic, or mom and dad are panicking. But when we say, I went astray, keep that picture in mind, because that's essentially what we're talking about that we do. Uh, and, and that's the picture I want you to have in mind, is this lost child and parents looking for this lost child. But when he says here, I went astray, the word astray can be speaking of committing sin, committing an error. But it's not a willful sin, it's more a sin of ignorance. In other words, here's what happens. We start to drift away, we start to wander away. Before we know it, we have drifted away to sin. It's not a stubborn, I'm going to do this and I'm going to sin. It is just like a child drifting away when mother or dad has said, stay near me, stay close to me, listen to me, and they have wandered away and now they're in big trouble. All right, that's the picture here. That's the word here. Matter of fact, we're going to see here Numbers chapter 15 and verse 28 where we see this word used in describing. It says, The priest is to make atonement before the Lord for the one who erred by sinning unintentionally. And when atonement has been made for him, he will be forgiven. Same word that is used there in the book of Numbers. The word astray is speaking of sinning unintentionally. This doesn't mean that you've gone out and said, I really don't care about God. This means that in the passing of life, other things have caught your attention. Other things have caused us to drift away. And now we are away from listening to God's word. And, and, and really, that's what happens with a child. And I, and I can see this because just this last week, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever day, I was in Meyer on the hill in Allen Park, all right? And I'm over down in the beverage aisle, you know, doing what I love to do when I do shop. I don't do the grocery store or the gas station looking for sour cream, but I do do the Navy SEAL extraction. Go in, get it, get out, all right? That's what I want to do. But I was down the aisle, and I could hear a mother yelling a child's name, and I could hear the child yelling, Mom, where are you? And back and forth, this conversation is going until they finally meet, all right? But what happened? At that moment, that child had lost the voice and the presence of that mother, all right? 
That's what we're talking about happens with us. Something catches our attention that pulls us away that we start to focus on and suddenly we are away from the voice and the presence of God because we've wandered off like this child and now suddenly we're in a panic or mom or dad. Now God, obviously this this picture breaks down because God's never in a panic. He knows what's going on. But we are because we've got ourselves into trouble. That's the problem. And we wander away when God's word is no longer a priority. We're going to come back to that. We also will wander when other things become my passion. So I'll put that personally. I will wander when other things become my passion. And passion is something that is an interest or a desire. And let me take this picture. It's an interest or desire that's in a seed form, but now it's gone full bloom. All right? Now, is it, a, is it a natural desire to want to eat? Uh, of course, that's a natural desire. But a natural desire that goes full bloom can lead to gluttony. Is it a natural desire to sleep? You're like, yeah, right now, I could use some sleep, all right? Don't do it yet. Soon you can, 12 o'clock or after, all right? Sunday siesta, all right? But here's the, here's the reality. Even sleeping can turn into laziness, a full-blown desire. Even exercise, which is a healthy thing for us, can turn into body beautiful. It's all about this. It's not about just being healthy. And you can just add in a whole lot of things, and we can plug in those things, wherever we may be right now. I mean, I'm not the Holy Spirit to know what's going on in your life or my life, but we all can plug in something that we think right now in this moment is something that is a natural, okay desire that has become too big in my life and has become something that has unwittingly or now wittingly, we recognize it has drifted us or pulled us away from the Word and the presence of God. That's what he's talking about here. And that's why when we, when we say, when the psalmist says, I went astray, because when we look at the psalmist looking at really a past, present, and future, the past is... There was astray and there was afflicted, all right? There's two things. And really there was the astray, then the afflicted, which we're going to talk about. But now, the present, I keep your word. I obey your word. There's even a future part. Even though it's not mentioned in the psalm, the future part is, if I don't keep your word and don't stay with your word, I'm going to go back to this process again. That will be our future. All right. Even though it's not said in the text, the past, present, and the future, that's how it's going to play out in our lives. That's exactly what God is doing. So if we take this wander picture of a child at the mall and we think in terms of, I will wander when other things become my passion, we, we can take this idea and plug it in with James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, perhaps you've seen it before. And as we see it, we see these words. When tempted, you and I, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted, and here's when. When by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and then sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. It says, our own evil desire, the word idiosyncrasy, this word, you've heard this word, 
In other words, everyone in this room has their own unique desires that pull at your cord and my cord and can pull us away from God. It's like the little child going through the mall. He doesn't intentionally seek to wander away from mom or dad, but if something catches his eye, it's what John says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Something catches our attention, something pulls us away just like a child, and suddenly he has drifted from this to this to this And suddenly there is no presence, there is no voice, there is no one there. He is all alone. That's you and me when this happens. That happens frequently in our lives. So what is God going to do about it? Well, here's the good news. Here's the part of what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying, secondly, that God's supernatural plan for Christians is to hear and heed his word. The first point was our my natural bent the way I, I'm, I'm wired as a sinner, even if I am a redeemed sinner, is I will wander from God very easily. But God has a supernatural plan to help keep us on what we sometimes call the straight and narrow. All right? But ultimately, it is something that he's going to do to help us to hear and to heed his word. Not just to hear it, but to do it. So what is that? Well, let's look back at the text. In verse 67, again, it says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Well, under this statement about God's supernatural plan, God's supernatural plan includes a mean to help us listen to him. He includes a means to get us to listen to him. I mean, classic parent outtakes for discipline, all right? Are you listening to me? And, you know, we all said, I will never say the things my parents said, and then we say all these same things. Are you listening to me? And the implied answer is, obviously, you're not. They're right there. Did you hear what I said? All right, we say these things. We say things like, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, and we don't buy that. Or if we want to do Bill Cosby, we say, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Uh, But really, it's the first two statements that I draw our attention to, and that is... When we say, are you listening to me? This verse is asking that same question. God says, are you listening to me? Am I listening to what God is trying to say to me today? Because he says, if you're not, then I have a way to help you listen. And it's called the word afflictions. And... I have often said with discipline, you know, we live in a generation, you don't spank your kids and all this kind of stuff, and most of us that are older go, yeah, you do, you still do. You might just have to do it in tinted window van or something. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But here's the reality. Spanking a child never teaches the lesson. What it does do is gets that child's attention so that hopefully they will listen. That's what God is doing. That's what God is intending in this verse right here. God uses affliction to get our attention so we will listen. Because obviously up to this point, we haven't listened. We aren't listening. And, and this word afflicted, you know, when we think of this word, we might think in terms of health issues. All right, We automatically think afflictions is like a health issue. we got these health issues. And we do have some dear folks in our church who have some difficult health issues right now. 
And that is an affliction. That is a very difficult thing, some of which can be overcome in a shorter time or a longer time. But when he talks about the word affliction, that can include all kinds of venues. It can include people issues, work issues, finance issues, family issues, marriage, parenting, on and on and on the list goes. But the word affliction really has this picture in mind. It has the picture of being bowed down, bent down, overcome by a weight. Matter of fact, let's, we're going to see here in Psalm chapter 22 where David says this, and it's, and it's said of David, but perfectly said of Christ. Psalm 22 verses 14 and 15 say this, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my mouth sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. David says, I am drained, I am empty, I am bowed down, I am beaten down. And then those very words are used of our Savior Jesus Christ to describe him, because these words in Psalm 22 are said of Christ. So then when Jesus Christ is our great high priest to make intercession for us, he is also our sympathetic high priest because he understands that in life there will be things that will bring us down, make us bow down. I don't mean bow down in worship. Bow down as if somebody has put a weight on our back that is crushing us that has taken the very life out of us, that is making us feel like we are dehydrated, we have nothing left, we can't even say, God, help me. We can only say, God, that's it. That may be all we can get out. And the psalmist says, here's what God does. He has afflicted me, and it's a good thing. Because in afflicting me, it's done something important in my life. He, it has helped me to stop And listen to him because it's a speed bump in life that he wants me to go, hold on. And if the speed bump doesn't do the job, it may be, as a pastor friend has said, then God will knock the wheels off and your car's not going anywhere. And that may be where we are today. I don't know. But it does give a point for us in life, the psalmist says, to realize here's where the good part can come in. Here's where the good reality of our life can be because ultimately we feel weighed down. We feel like we're beaten up. So here's what we naturally do. Here's the danger for you and me. The dangerous reality, and and I'll, I'll confess this for me, and it may not be for you and you have your own confession. I'll confess mine today, all right? We may, in the midst of that difficulty, want to do this. We want to figure it out and we want to fix it. And you know what? There's a lot of things we're never going to figure out, and we certainly won't fix it. So then we go into a second mode, and here's what we do. Well, then I'm going to bury it, and I'm going to find something to help soothe it, something to make me feel better. And it's not God. And it may not be something evil and bad that may come to your mind. It may be just something to drown out whatever's going on. And God says, that's not the point. The point is, in the midst of this, is to drive us back to his word. That when that child is scared to death in the mall, scared to death in the store, yelling for mom and dad's voice, listening for their voice, suddenly the lesson that they told them of stay near me, don't wander off, suddenly they're going to remember that probably for the rest of their life or at least for a good long while, the panic that was there. 
And really, that's what this psalm is trying, this one little slice of the psalm is trying to do. And that is, it is helping us to see that God is at work in our life to help us first to listen to Him, but secondly, the supernatural plan attempts to draw us to surrender to Him. And what do I mean by surrender? You say, I don't see the word surrender. Well, it says, it's, it helped me to keep His word. And, and, and you say, well, the word keep isn't there. Well, all the other translations put keep, NIV put obey. Obey is the idea, but it's more than that. It's the idea of guarding it, making sure it's like being on sentry duty 24-7. It's bad enough doing the night watch when everybody else is asleep and you're doing sentry duty and you're fighting to stay awake and just think not now with people with an iPhone or something to keep themselves awake. Think 100 years ago when they just had to stay awake. And they had to protect it. That's what the word is here. God's going to use this to get you and me to wake up and realize we have to be on guard duty with God's word. We have to be on guard duty to make sure that we are always still listening to the voice of God. Because once we lose his voice, once we lose what he is saying, we begin to lose his presence. And when we lose his presence, God may have to use some very difficult situations in our life to get us to listen to him again and ultimately to surrender to him. Because the word that's used here of obey or keep God's word is the same idea that Jesus used in the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we see here, and again, you know these words, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The idea of obey here is the same, but a different word in the New Testament to describe guarding God's word, keeping it with us. So I say this morning that ultimately, God is up to something very good in your life and my life. And when he is up to that in a very good way, What we want is, well, good, give me a lot of blessings and a lot of smooth seas, and I'm all ears, God, but quite frankly, we all know better. We all know that when the seas are calm and when life is going along, suddenly we become practical atheists. We act like God's not even out there until suddenly we need him. Um, And yet the psalmist is saying here, I was astray. But God, in his loving kindness, in his goodness, reached down and allowed this affliction, this thing that has brought me down, that is beating me down, that has taken me down, and I'm going, what do I do now? And it's so that he will help me to see I wasn't listening to him. I wasn't following him. So what do we do this morning? Very simple three steps. Take the next step or steps as we walk out of here this morning. Three things, because I've been given the orange cone waving in the back to land the plane. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin McKinnon, all right? Three things at the bottom, just to help us, and also there will be an article on the information desk. I only printed 15. You're like, well, there's a lot of people here. Well, you're going to run get bagels, and if there are some of you that want it and it runs out, we can print more. It's like making donuts, we can make more, all right? Here's the next three steps. If we're going to apply this and connect this to our life today, walking out the door, first, recognize that the afflictions in your life are frequently, or maybe I should say always, planned by God to get your attention, to get my attention. B, 
because I'm not listening. We're not listening. Secondly, acknowledge that these afflictions in your life are surfacing areas that God is showing you needs to change. In other words, when we do face these things, recognize that what God is showing us in the midst of this is a heart that is still very disconnected from Him and a heart that's trying to fix things my way instead of God's way. That's what God is surfacing. And finally, here's the word that may be hardest to spell. Pursue the word in your pressured struggles to reorient your life back to God. To get my focus back to God, back to his word. Because that's what these struggles, that's what these afflictions, that's what these difficulties are intended by God to do. So that we will not walk away from him. Now, I hear the papers, papers rustling. There is no take-home truth. You filled in the last blank. You're done, all right? Pastor Gossip in 1927 preached that message. When life tumbles in, what then? Some of you, life has tumbled in. Some of you, life is tumbling in. Some of you, some of us this morning, is what do I do? What am I supposed to think? Have you ever noticed the wonderful thing is if we have reach the end of our own, figure it out, and make myself feel better, that finally we come back to where God wanted us all along, back to his voice, back to his word, back to his presence. The question is, will we go there? Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, we cannot thank you enough that in your love you provided a sacrifice for us that we could not do in order to be accepted by you. You provided us Jesus Christ. And my ultimate prayer this morning is, if there is someone here this morning that yet does not know Christ, they would see that he was not just a good man, he was the God-man. The man who perfectly lived out your word. He never wandered from your way. He was the shepherd to bring sheep to you and continue to protect those sheep. And we thank you for him today. And we would pray, if there's someone here this morning that does not know Christ, that you would bring them to genuine faith in Christ. For those of us who claim to know Christ, who say we are yours, help us, we pray, our Father, to recognize where we are wandering, where we are drifting, and realize that your wonderful plan in these things that weigh us down is to drive us back to you, your word, your voice, your presence. Help us to follow you, we pray in Christ's name.